Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Steve, and you're watching slash listening slash smelling, smelling, tasting, feeling, 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, modding, fixing, breaking, reviewing, playing, podcast. I can barely do that in one breath. I don't know how people say many words in a single breath. I can do it in one breath. Maybe it was just like on the guitar, guitar buying, selling, trading, fixing, money, breaking, reviewing, playing podcast. Maybe and I just I had still a, have plenty of breath left a, over to continue to talk. Maybe I haven't I just taken had a breath bad in. breath on, on the start of that. I one. think you had a bad breath, Steve. I think you could do it with one breath. I think you could do it longer. <gasps> okay. Uh, what's new, Ryan? <laughs> uh, what's new with me is that I've got a new guitar here, Steve. I thought you were it. done getting new guitars. I know. I've got too many around here. If anyone ever wonders, like, if my wife approves of all this nonsense, yeah, she she brought home a guitar for me. <laughs> she got another guitar to add to this ridiculous collection going on. Uh, this is a, uh, a vintage first act discovery guitar. Vintage? Well, I don't think they make it anymore. That doesn't mean it's vintage. It it's could just very, make it old. It's very desirable. I think uh, she found it like on OfferUp or something like that. Or uh, isn't there like... Oh, is she on Buy Nothing? Buy Nothing. I think it's a Buy Nothing thing. Steve was very generous and he tuned this up for me. The strings oh, yeah. that were remaining on it. think about the uh it actually doesn't sound as bad as i thought it would yeah uh oh it comes with a strap that's a nice little strap yep i want to know what the crap that graphic is supposed to be yeah it's got some sort of crazy like graffiti graphic on it i don't think it's supposed to be anything i think it's just supposed to be like kind of exciting and colorful like hey kids like this it's like got half of a word on it they made finding nemo or finding dory ones the thing that is i always think is funny about these guitars from first act is the covers over the tuning pegs and i know it's to keep kids from accidentally stabbing themselves oh with the string Did ends you just break oh the the broken part of a string came out of oh, it there you go it's interesting that they pop open like like medicine containers like a pill container it's like an extra bit of like thought into a child's product yeah that is a guitar that is funny to me like i would have never thought of like kid proofing a guitar so that they don't get poked like getting poked by a guitar is just part of learning guitar um so obviously this is gonna be for my kid to bash around and play I thought pretend that's what with. that white thing is for well, that's when he actually wants to play guitar. I've got oh, that Hofner shorty guitar back this there. This is for when he just wants to. Also, like, I keep that fake Elvis. It. I keep that Waterman uh, Kala ukulele oh, right, yeah. in his room because I sing him songs to put him to sleep at night. And that plays way better than this. That's a more legitimate musical instrument than this thing is. I'm really trying to figure out what the heck it's supposed to say on it. But hey, you can't beat free. Nope. Free, free is a great price. Yeah. So there's that. We've got a new guitar in the family, this little first act thing. It feels like the same quality you would expect out of a uh, guitar you could find in like a Mexican flea market. Yeah, it feels like something that you win at a carnival. I don't know. Maybe I'll find some sort of fun project for that. Or I'll just let my kid smash it up and paint it and do whatever he wants i feel like that guitar is definitive proof that tone is not in the fingers <laughs> <laughs> do you think it warrants a fresh set of strings or you should yeah, i should just leave it without a g-string um i think you should put a fresh set of strings on it just so like nobody gets tetanus <laughs> it's not that rusty i've got rustier guitars on my wall right you now do. <laughs> but that's like a whole other topic i don't think that's a justification <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, anything new, Steve? I do not. I have another new thing if you want to talk, What's your other new talk thing? about it. I've been really good at losing weight lately. Oh, yeah. Are we going to talk about this? Uh, everyone's been commenting on my body, which is a little uncomfortable. I'm like, hey, Ryan, you've lost a lot of weight, which is weird. And I can tell, too. I can tell that I've lost weight mm -hmm. because I've been eating out at restaurants every single meal yeah. for nearly two months now. 
Has it been that long? It's been that long. Wow. It's been ridiculous. I'm still waiting on this, you know, kitchen remodel situation because I flooded the kitchen. Um, so, yeah, apparently with my body, if I eat out every day, I lose weight. What does it all mean? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I've been trying my best to, like, get nutrition in me. Yeah. I and think- it's like I go and I eat regular meals because I got to get my family fed when they're hungry, too. I, what do you, I, skip, what do you do? I skip some meals, but not enough to what lose do you weight. Do for, what do you do for breakfast? Do you go out for breakfast every um, day? A lot of the times we will do cereal here, but we don't even have an ability to like cook eggs or anything like that. Right. So if we're craving mm. like a protein breakfast, we'll go to the Broken Yolk, which is a local right. like uh, breakfast dive. Not dive, but breakfast kind of option. Yeah. It's like a nicer Denny's. I think I might prefer Denny's. Really? I don't know. I've only been to Broken Yolk once, and I was I, kind of, I was very underwhelmed. I always get the same thing. They have this omelet that's got chorizo in it, so I just get that, and I can never bring myself to get like waffles or French toast or pancakes or anything like that because it just seems like if I get that, it'll wreck me. Right, and I think that might be why I'm losing weight. Where if I was cooking for myself, I'd totally be making pancakes. Oh, okay. But because I have to eat out every day every meal i'm like i can't order the heavy option right at restaurants so i'm gonna get the thing that's just eggs and meat and comes with a side of fruit and like some toast that was my nam breakfast last year dude do you remember that what when, when the the morning after the taco party my breakfast was just a plate half eggs half bacon to fill the entire plate nice <laughs> pretty excited about that Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm real sick and that's why yeah. I'm losing weight. Maybe you have a diabetes. I don't feel worse than I normally do. Take that to mean whatever you want. <laughs> Should we get into it, Steve? Yeah, I think so. Uh, this first ad was sent in by Brad Moses. It's a bunt pan resonator cone. Uh, license plate sides looks better than it should. Uh, well, I'm going to debate that later. It says, on. this is a handmade guitar made out of truck steel, aluminum, and license plates. The neck is off of Les Paul. Plays really good, has an amazing sound, never heard anything like it. This is definitely a piece you want to have in your guitar collection to talk about. Um, what's the price on this? It was steep. $1,500 yeah. in North Carolina, um, which as we all know, the dollar goes a lot further in North Carolina. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about this. This Okay, so first off, this isn't... A uh, Gibson neck. No. Was that something um, you thought it was going to be? It says it's a... Oh, it says, just says neck off of a Les Paul. So I don't know what kind of Les Paul. Epiphone. Oh, yeah. have to be reshaped. Oh, you know what? I think that, that headstock shape is the Maestro. Oh, The okay. Costco version Does of the Epiphone. Does the Costco Maestro have a binding, though? You know That's what, a good question. You know what I think this is off of is a Chinese knockoff Les Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at that square truss rod hole. That kind of looks Chinese-ish. Yeah, this all kind of looks a little off. Anyway, um, so what do you think about this? Um, How does this make you feel? I mean, my, my first impression of this thing was like, I like the concept. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything against like the license plate repurposing thing. I like the concept of using a bunt pan as the resonator. What's well, a boon? It's a boon. It's a boon. Uh, the visually, the only part that I really don't like is this giant piece of metal that's around the neck joint. Right. I think they should have just continued the license plate. Yeah, theme I don't throughout. understand. This probably has to do with the way the neck is mounted. Probably, it just looks really sloppy compared to the rest. Of, which the rest of it looks sloppy, but intentionally sloppy. It looks very folky. Uh, and then my my other thought on this was that it doesn't really matter what this is made out of or not made out of. Resonators are supposed to sound kind of like, for lack of a better term, crappy. They're kind of yeah. they're kind of like ukuleles, where like you want them to sound like a tin can, 
that mm-hmm. doesn't have much going on other than just this bright plucky sound. So like this probably will sound great or fine as long as the, all the screws and bolts that are used are tight enough that they don't rattle. And even if they do rattle, maybe that adds to it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's definitely <laughs> like putting rivets some, in a symbol, you know? There's definitely some weirdity going on here. I really doubt that this thing plays like $1,500. Oh, it definitely doesn't. I, I can't imagine paying $1,500 for this. I believe that the there was enough time, like man hours devoted into this guitar, that this person could charge $1,500 for minimum wage. How much would you pay? As a curiosity, I would, pro- uh, and judging it based off what I'm looking now, mm-hmm. I w- would be under $200. I think I, I think that's fair. That's what I would think. And it would be like I'm buying off a friend who's like, yeah, I did this. I don't really know what to do with it anymore. I'm like, I'll right. take it off your hand. Here's 200 bucks. Yeah. And it seems like that's like tends to be the the case. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of work. I mean, at the end of the day, like it is a, excuse me, like a scratch build guitar thing. Right. But... I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty home done. There's everything here is uh, kind of by the seat of the pants oh, sort yeah. of situation. Yeah. I love that there's the uh, the stop tail bridge all the way at the tail of the guitar when they could have just done like a trapeze sort of thing. Right. One of the things I'm looking at the back of it. I don't. How do you play this standing up? You would like tear your stomach. Yeah, up. there's a lot of raw metal edges going on here that look very dangerous. <laughs> I love that you can see the tools in this oh, shot. Yeah, yeah, you can see all the drill bits and the Dremel in this shop. And the, the metal shears is on a porch somewhere. It's some on someone's yeah. porch. I mean, a for effort. I guess. But the price is just completely unrealistic. Even if it happens to sound and play good, like talking about tetanus, this thing's going to give it to you. It's a it's an art piece. Yeah, and I would I would pay you know swap meet art prices for it. Is, is how is I that, feel about you it. You said under two hundred, but to me, swap meet art prices is like seventy five dollars. I know, I know, but you're combining it with a guitar, so oh, okay. under two hundred bucks. I mean, seventy five dollars is under two hundred dollars, Steve. I mean, you can't say I'm wrong. Seventy five dollars is under two hundred dollars, but so is one hundred and ninety nine dollars, and I would not pay one hundred ninety nine dollars. How much would you pay for this, Steve? Seventy five dollars. Seventy five dollars. Okay, fine, Steve. I'm not. Hey, gosh, see, I don't want you to buy it. You okay, don't have to good. buy it. I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> hmm. All right, this first topic was sent in by Peter Dooland. I've never heard of Peter Dooland in the group before, but he's in the group. So welcome, Peter Dooland, to the group. We've got a lot of people in there, Steve. I don't uh, know if you know that. It says, in the rapid trend of heavier and heavier music, when does heavy metal become too heavy? Um, it's a lot of different responses here, actually. I don't know. When do you think? Do you think? I, I guess. I think when it just... When it becomes not music anymore, it's just one big square wave. So when we're talking about when we're talking about heaviness and heavy metal, what are we talking about? Are we talking about how it's played? Or are we talking about the tone? Well, is and, it a little and of so both? there's a there's some different. You know, of course, Jason Fuzzmonger gets like waist deep in this oh, topic, sure. and he knows way more than I do about this. One of the things he says is he says I've actually thought metal as a whole has gotten less heavy in the past ten years or so. That's my insider's take, though. Um, and I can kind of see that. I, I guess when I think of, for me personally, I think of heavy metal. Um, I think of like, I think heavy metal has, is kind of broad. But I don't think of heavy metal as being the heaviest metal. Mm. You think of like a subgenre that of heavy so, metal that is heavier. I think of heavy metal, like I think... There's a, a crossover between like early heavy metal and and hard rock where like you have bands like Black Black Sabbath that kind of occupy both spaces. Yeah. In my head, like I guess the classic heavy metal band where I'm like, oh yeah, that's the first band I go to for heavy metal would be like Megadeth or Metallica. Okay. Something along those lines. Um so I don't know. Steve, have um, you ever considered carving Slayer in your arm? I have not. 
Should I? Should I consider No, I don't that? think you should. I don't think anyone should do that. <laughs> Uh, I'm what, what what do you think of like what pops in your head when you think of like the heaviest heavy metal you've ever listened to? Um, I think of something like something more. I don't know. I tend to think more of like stoner and doom. Sure. Or like black metal. So something that's either like tends to be really he- like really, I guess, dark. Yeah. And slow, which is like kind of like stoner or doom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or something that's like very like fast and in your face like a like a swedish death metal kind of a thing yeah for some reason my mind is going straight towards ministry you ever listen to ministry i'm not familiar with ministry it's very like industrial Mm. and like i don't have any other way to describe it like they use like samples for like vocal parts and the rest of it is just like this metallic industrial sort of like chugging along it's very heavy Kind of scary stuff. I enjoy it every now and then. I used to have a ministry CD. I wonder what ever happened to that. Um, um, it's with my, the rest of my CDs in the garbage in a landfill somewhere. Um, it's it's hard to think of heavy metal getting heavier. Right. Because at a certain point, like you think of like like the heaviest heavy metal you can think of. And it's just full saturation. Like someone's screaming a demon part as like distorted and right. crazy as they can with the double bass kick just going as fast yeah, as they can. Yeah, just blast beats and drop tunes and, and whatever. And even that, like, Jason, and like Jason down actually... Down tune as far as you can go and just... Like, this is And Jason even talks about how, like, drop tuning doesn't necessarily make the song heavier. Right. Like, it's more of a stylistic It makes it lower. Yeah. Well, it also, like, you know... If you if you if you're playing like something that is where your guitar's tuned down, I don't know, like say it's tuned down to C. So that's going from E to C is one, two, like two whole steps, right? Sure. Um but so if it's if you're down two whole steps, basically anything you're playing above the fifth fret, you could play like without Yeah. Oh absolutely. Without down tuning. That's going to connect right. to our next topic. Right, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. We're going to talk about baritone guitars up next. Uh, yeah, that's totally true. Uh, I always feel like when I bust up my baritone or down tune a guitar and plug in the heavy metal and try to do something metal, like hitting that heavy, like low chugging sort of thing. Right. I feel like I run out of creative options really quick. Like there's not a lot. Well, I think that's also left to do that's there. Probably just a stylistic. Yeah, lack it's also of knowledge. Yeah, me not being studied up on the genre, uh, for sure, of course. But I don't know. I feel like I like I jump into other things and I have more room to move around. But maybe right. that's not fair. I'm more up on those styles, I guess. I sh- I've been wondering: should I get into metal? Should I listen to metal and learn to play metal maybe. for the sake of well, so so the I mean. Channel? You know, you you bring that up, and just from like a stylistic perspective, like you're probably you got to do. It's like you got to figure out how to combine the chugga chuggas and the meadly meadlies. Mm. So you're doing like, and that's where you know, you, all of a sudden you've opened up more options because you're doing a. You know, I think it also probably makes more sense in a full band setting where everyone fills their role. It's true, you know, it's true. Where, like, if you just listen to the double kick, it's like, oh, how much can you actually do with two kick drums at the same time? But then you fill in the rest of the band, and it all works together. Mm-hmm. I'm probably really dated in my ideas about metal, honestly. I think you are. <laughs> I think all the uh, the extended range stuff is really interesting, like the, the genty stuff that kids are doing these right. days. It's almost like heavy by way of being jazzy. Yeah. And kind of these more extended theory sorts of ways of playing that are kind of, it's heavy because it's inaccessible. You know, I remember, um, I grew up as a teenager going to like hardcore shows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And be like, Oh my gosh, this is like the hardest, heaviest music I've ever heard. If so I, hard. If much my, core. If my mom knew I was listening to this, she'd be so scared. And then there was one night. Wait, does your mom know that you went to, went to hardcore shows? Yes. My mom knows. Uh, but there was one night I was sitting in the car, like waiting for my family that was doing something else, and I was just like scrolling through 
the radio stations. Right. And I landed on a local jazz station, like the college jazz uh-huh. station. And they were doing like a full set of improvisational jazz, which is like the super crazy out there. Like, does this even track as music? Right. Sort of thing. Like, it's so inaccessible. And I sat there listening to it like, something about this is frightening to me. Like, this is heavier mm-hmm. than... Like the music, like the shows that I go to where people are screaming and it sounds like blood's going to like throw out of their mouth. They're going to just throw up blood on the audience or something like that because it's so rough. But this music is legitimately like intimidating right? and made me feel uncomfortable. Maybe that's the future of heaviness and metal. Not so much like the down tuning or heavy distortion or any of that surface level stuff, but... Like, just really dissonant, really inaccessible, like, proggy playing that is frightening in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you do get that more from, from certain acts. You know, you get your, uh, your Tosin Abbasis, the animals as leaders and, and periphery and artists like that, you know, where there is a much heavier prog influence. I don't know how far we can go uh, down the the uh jazz road because you know as the great american poet angela martin once said jazz is stupid why can't they just play the right notes <laughs> that's true she is a great so, american poet she's a I great getting great buzz american and buzz something. on my phone here knock it off airplane mode please because i'm asking you to send me money <laughs> is that what you do? Are you PayPal requesting me I while did, we're podcasting? I did PayPal request you like five minutes ago. Oh man, I got to do it before I forget. <laughs> Thanks to the Inner Circle for paying for our dinner every podcast night. It actually does help. Yeah, it helps us produce this show. I'll say that. Uh, what's the next it ad? Helps that's produce a bowel, a bowel movement tomorrow morning. This is going to be a short episode, Steve. <laughs> Uh, was no. that a poop joke, Steve? It was a poop joke. We needed that last episode when we needed a politically incorrect oh, man. guitar thing. You should have done no. a poop joke. Uh, Too late. Poop, pooped-er. I don't... I see that. I, everything just feels forced. Yeah. It's got to be in the moment. It's the problem. All right. Uh, big shout-out to our sponsor this week, Sinusoid Pro Audio Couture. Makers of the Sasquatch line of power and speaker cables. If you want a power cable or a speaker cable that has TechFlex, you know Sinusoid can do that. And you want a power cable that looks like it came from some sort of like industrial like like power re- relay station. It's just the thickest dang cable you've ever seen in your life. Sinusoidproaudio.com. Wow. <laughs> you listen, you got all these pedals. You got to get power into them from the wall somehow. Might as well get a really great cable to do it. That's not really how that works, by the way. I mean, I guess it could be. The power doesn't come from the wall? Well, I mean, the power comes from the wall, and then it goes to a power supply, and then it goes to your pedals. You got you can't just plug your pedal The power in. came from the wall, Steve. I don't think Sinusoid sells that kind of power cable. What what kind of power cable is this? Like, the, like a 120-volt power cable. They don't sell power cables that plug into your pedals. That's what I'm saying. You gotta plug into your pedal board. Or well, your amp. Your, your, oh, your amp, yes. Yes, your amp. What? Sinusoid.com. They what? make cables. And smiles. <laughs> and questions, apparently. What? Steven, I don't understand what each other is talking about. I'm talking about the cable that goes from your wall to your pedal board. To your power supply on your pedal board. Well, I guess with your pedal board, my pedal board has a thing that I plug in on the outside. That goes into my power supply. I guess I haven't looked at your pedal board. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're you're right. You so you want have a cable that plugs into your pedal board that plugs into another cable that plugs into your power supply. Right. Why don't you just go sinusoid straight to your power supply? Because sounds there's like, not a hole in the side of my pedal board. Sounds it, like you're using an inferior product. I've got stuff in between my power and my sinusoids. Uh, now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Tell us about this ad, Steve. This ad was sent in by Craig Breslin. And I'm looking on my phone for it, even though it's on my iPad. Yeah. And I've also lost it. It's right there, right person. in front of you. There dude. we go. This is, he says, um, oh, th- he sends in all these pictures. This is on eBay. 
uh, sought after vintage 1992 first run Fender Squire Silver Series Silver Series neck, made in Japan by Fuji Gen. Laser straight, 60s beefy C shape, no fractures, jumbo frets. Look healthy with some minor patina buildup in areas due to age. Some minor signs, but no um, some minor signs of use, but no abuse. Has that road worn polyester lacquer tone as excuse me. Steve, getting gross over uh, here. As replicated on Fender's four-figure custom shop models. Is that really? Like, I've never thought about that, but I guess. Uh, lots of mojo here and feels superior to modern USA manufacturer. Next, plays like a dream and would suit a custom Stratocaster project fantastically. I'd play it. Do you think that this color is like... I mean, I... I like the color of it, but... Is, is that, that kind of like honey blonde? Yeah, um anyway so this is on ebay for 66 pounds i think that works out to, who cares how much it weighs <laughs> i think that works out to something like um 90 i don't know if this will hold yeah, somewhere there, around there. there's 15 bids on it so i'm sure the price is gonna go it's got two days and roof. 18 hours left steve you yeah. pulled this out today uh yeah oh, i yeah, think you so did. Yeah. yeah that means um, it's got two days and 14 hours left by now? Yeah, something like that. Um, these are very interesting next, the Silver Series. Um, so I was reading about it, and uh, one, you can get the entire guitar on eBay for $395 plus shipping. Hmm. Um, not Obviously not this exact one, but um, um, you know stuff that, that would be the complete model. Sure. Um, Here's a oh that is an Ibanez neck. Why does it say it's Silver Series? It's not. It lied to me. We're doing research live on the show. This, this is got to be interesting. This is always interesting. People are, people are right. gonna love this. People always love it, Ryan. That's why they listen to this show because we do our research and we get it right mm -hmm. as much as we can. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reading about the Silver Series and and it is actually a really interesting story because 1992. Uh, is after Fender had already moved Squire production to uh, out of Japan into Korea, which they did in the late 1980s. And apparently, the story is that um, Fender was trying to make an like an ultimate budget line in out of Korea. They're using like budget parts. They're using budget wood, hmm. so they're like they're using like plywood builds. Interesting on these guitars. And uh, what happened is Korean manufacturers that were building not for Fender started, like, undermining, like, basically put, taking out advertisements, like, why would you want plywood? Like, we're making guitars out of real wood kind of stuff. Wow. Um, and uh, kind of, like, undermining the whole thing. And I've played, like, some of the, 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 the Korean Fenders from that time. And I will say, like, the bodies seem unusually heavy hmm. for compared to, like, other, like, strats or uh, the whole – Have you are you familiar with the Squire 2 series? Yes. So the Squire 2 series was all made in Korea, uh, from what I recall. And the necks on those are all fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah. The uh, heavy, like, like thick paint-dipped bodies. Yeah, like the weird hardware, all of the Squire two necks have like very similar finish to this Silver Series neck. Um, but uh, yeah, the bodies are all heavy dipped. Some of them are like that weird. The the they did the Squire bullet uh this bullet ones. Mm -hmm. Those necks are all fantastic too. But the bodies are weird, and the pickups were cheap, and the hardware was cheap. Everything about them was well. The necks sometimes the tuners were good. You could get some good tuners on those. This particular one doesn't have tuners on it. It nope. doesn't have string tree. It's just a bare neck. It's got the nut. Uh, it does have the nut. Um, but anyway, uh, so Fender starts getting undermined by these Korean manufacturers. And uh, so what they did is they pulled manufacturing of the Squire stuff back into Japan in like late 1990, early 1991. Interesting. They started putting out Squires the way that they were in like the mid 80s with um and they call it the silver series and they basically um did it in the same um uh they basically did it in the same style as those 80s japanese squires right 
um, they basically did it just to squash the competition. Oh, okay. Which is also I'm from this article I was looking at is why uh, the Silver Series basically like only lasted three years because it was just like a power move on their yeah, part. Yeah, it was all about basically Fender saying, "Oh." You want us to make squires like legit? Fine, we'll do it. But the problem is, is like there is no profit there because they're using more expensive materials, right? In um a more you know in more expensive, um, in a more expensive manufacturing company, uh, etc. Um, so yeah, so the Silver Series strats were well received. People you know really liked them. The first Silver Series strat was the Hank Marvin signature strat. Really? Yeah. Uh, that was I'd one of the that. first ones. Uh, the um, these Squire Wayne's World Strat uh-huh. isn't officially a Silver Series, but it's considered close enough in style to the Silver Series to be like kind of lumped in as that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a guitar like like I said, they basically did this to like break um well, what do you break th- down the the competition that basically came out and said squire sucks it's made out of plywood just it's not it's only good for firewood you right. don't, you don't want to play this it seems like fender has had an interesting relationship with their squire brand where it's like it'll be good and then it'll be trash and then it'll be good and they kind of like dance back and forth with like what role they want it yeah. to feel like we've been in a good range for Squire for a long time. Well, now. you know, I think it goes back to a thing that we talked about probably really early on, um, on the show is that, uh, manufacturing by country kind of all happens in cycles. Yeah. So, you know, well, they're, they're- 1960s, 1970s, like mid 1960s Japanese stuff was all weird. It was just all weird. Yeah, 1970s. It starts getting better. You get the rise of Ibanez. You get the real where like Fuji Gaki and Matsumoku are really like hitting their peaks. Japanese manufacturing is really good. It probably it probably peaks and plateaus in the 80s when you've got Fender Japan. Yeah, and you've got Epiphone. You know, uh, making stuff in Japan, and it, I would say it peaks and plateaus in the sense that like it hits a very high mark and it stayed there. Sure. And if it's gotten better, it's been like incrementally better, but not by like the leaps and bounds. The same time, 70s, 1980s, Korea becomes what Japan was in the 1960s. Right. And Korean manufacturing, I don't, I'm not sure when I would say it peaked, maybe early mid 2000s, but your PRS SE models started being made in Korea. Your Reverends are made in Korea. Um, pure Salem guitars, I think, are made in Korea. There's yeah. a lot of brands that I are... I mean, like, like Swetwing back there. Yeah. Made in Korea. It's made in Korea. So you have... You start seeing Korean-made guitars that are being sold in the 700 to like $1,200 I mean, dollar can, price point. You can basically get any a guitar made to any quality that you're willing to pay for out of Korea. Yeah. Like, if you go to a Korean manufacturer and you're like, I want a guitar that's made to the quality of this $3,000 American guitar, they can hit that mark. Yeah, it's not it's not a manufacturing limit for them. It's a a, a budget limit, right? And, and so then you start seeing um, ch- the first Chinese built guitars, probably what late nineties, mm. and you've got you know your Fender Bullets. It's kind of it's China and it's Indonesia for Fender. Uh, you've got like Epiphone moves to China in like the mid two thousands. I want to say. I'm kind of doing this all off the top of my head. Sure. So, um, Correct Steve in the comment section. Yeah, guys. I'm definitely getting stuff wrong. Um, but you, we are at a point now with like the Fender Classic Vibe stuff, the current crop of Epiphones where it seems like Chinese manufacturing is getting really good. So it's all, it's just these cycles where yeah. it's like Japan, uh, most, I wouldn't say most, but at least many uh, guitar enthusiasts seem to be on the same page that like the Japanese domestic market produces a guitar that at least rivals a lot of American mm-hmm. manufacturers, at least on a mass production. Um, I'm obviously like, I don't, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I don't know anything about like a ja- Japanese boutique builders. You know? Sure. Sure. Um, I'm sure there are a few. And like I said, there are a lot of big, bigger brands that are using the Korean export manufacturing uh, model to produce their budget lines and their budget lines. Again, Six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Yeah, 
maybe so more. what do you what do you what would you feel comfortable paying for this guitar not in pounds in u.s dollars for this neck yeah for this neck i would probably say 125 really yeah I, I think that's i think that's a fair price i i think so you you would price this around the same you would price a, a mexican neck i would would you expect it to play better than a Mexican neck or worse than a Mexican neck? I would say... Subjectively. Um, I would expect it to play better. Okay. I would say that if um, I saw this neck... If I, if, I, if I was presented with two necks at $125 mm, each, I like one this. is Mexican, one is a Squire Silver Series, and I was told you can't, you can't play it you just have to guess. You just have to buy it. Ah. You just have to buy it. You have to pick one. The same builder is going to slap this neck on a body, do all the work, whatever. So it's just like I'm picking the the parts that are going to create the ground floor. I'm I'm picking this neck. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, like no matter the like, if it was the same cost as a Mexican neck, I would pick this, even though it says Squire on it instead of Fender. Yeah, I think the I think the build is more interesting. And I think there's more story to tell there, and I like the finish on it, and I like the look of it. I like this neck, and I I would pay 120 dollars to project start with this for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Uh, next topic: baritone guitars. Mark Swartz says, "What are your thoughts on baritone guitars?" And then my phone resets, so I don't know what else uh, it says. Let's see if my phone... Here we is... go. What are your thoughts on baritone guitars? Do you think you can incorporate one into your playing style? Don't you already? Never mind. I do. Uh, I've really been wanting one, but I'm having trouble finding one with it, with an aesthetic I like. I'm not into the heavy metal guitars. I don't want a vintage style one either, like Dan Electro or Eastwood. Mm. I need it to have some beef for what I'm playing. You know what I think about beef, Ryan? What do you think about beef, Steve? What's for dinner? Oh, actually, I did not have beef for dinner. Unless there was beef right. in some of the sausage on uh, that sub sandwich that you got. Was there sausage? Yeah, yes, there was like, like there was like salami on it. I think salami is beef, isn't okay. it? I don't know. I actually don't know what kind of meat goes into salami. I think it's beef. I, I'm, my thought is that I just haven't had any beef today. I had prosciutto and chicken for lunch. Why are we talking salad. about beef? Because it's what because uh, because it was for dinner. Because Mark Swartz wants something beefy. It almost sounds like he wants my guitar exactly. It really does. <laughs> like, um, so I've got a guitar. Steve's going to grab it. Uh, it's a parts guitar. It's a Mexican Strat body with a uh, blacktop Telecaster uh, baritone neck on it that I got off of eBay. And then it's got a set of American strap pickups in it. And it's kind of like this uh, black pickguard on black body sort of aesthetic that's really sharp. And it's a really nice middle ground between like that weird vintage sort of like 60s vibe and, you know, your more modern extended scale like metal-y stuff. It can do the metal-y stuff. It can do like the surfy stuff, but it's not locked in between those. Uh, but I have a lot of stuff to say about baritones. Have you ever messed with a baritone, Steve? I've messed around with this one a little bit when you first put it together years ago and never since. Yeah. I, I, when I was first thinking about putting together a surf band, I was like, I should have a baritone. What if baritone is like my thing? So I put this guitar together. And uh, I quickly, what I got to say is I had heard from a lot of people when I was doing this that the actual blacktop telecaster baritone um didn't intonate well something about the uh the neck and the bridge were the wrong scale length and it was hard to intonate it for some reason this neck on this body intonates just fine this this guitar plays great but maybe stay away from those blacktop baritones that feature this neck you're playing pretty good on that steve all you got to do to sound good is not plug in, right? <laughs> Baritone might be your jam. So um, I don't, I don't know anything really about baritones. How f much further? What is it? It's two to B, B, right? It's B to B. So that makes what? This isn't like the fifth fret. The is fifth an fret e? is an E. Yeah. Also, your your uh, your second string down is an E. That's so going back to a point you were making earlier, 
like the only ex thing extended about the range of this guitar is the fifth fret of the of the low of the low E the and low e up or the sixth string this, rather. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you get four more low notes really is what's so it's going kinda, on it's basically like a five string bass yeah or, yeah five string bass but it does like, why i don't play five string bass anymore the heavier strings do give you a different tonality and it gives you more options to walk around on your bass lines i i've you have to get special strings for this yeah Ooh. i've said before that explains why these strings are so like, rusty if i have another set of them somewhere i just need to put them on there um you should clean this neck while you're at it i know it's drying out <laughs> uh man i lost my my train of thought now oh i've said before that if i was going to do like a solo singer songwriting sort of thing i would use a baritone guitar whether it be electric or acoustic because it just gives you some extra low end on those cowboy chords to like walk around some little bass lines and whatnot the trouble i've had with the baritone is that it's hard to incorporate it randomly into a band without building the whole band around it. Because suddenly you are stepping into the EQ range of the bassist. And yeah. you're losing the EQ range that you were sitting in as the lead guitarist or the rhythm guitarist. And so everyone has to kind of adjust around it. And unless you build your whole band around that one guitar, then you're pulling out this random guitar every now and then. Like right. I, I made the mistake of writing a song around the baritone for our album, and we never play that song anymore. I'm talking about, about Dinosaur Ghost. Yeah. Because yeah. I just never have that guitar around to do it. Hmm. So it's kind of one of those things where... You couldn't just move the entire song up? I mean, we could have, but I mean, it's also not a fun song. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those things where it's a really fun itch to scratch, and I'm really glad I have that guitar around, but I very rarely ever find a practical use for it. Right. So I think that's something to think about. Um, I think his journey as far as finding a baritone guitar that has like a practical middle ground instead of being funky vintage or modern metal is interesting, and it would be interesting to know what is out there that he could access right now. <laughs> Actually, after just like messing around with that, like I'm, I'm now very. I have to put in a lot of work because I, I because of the way like I process guitar playing. Uh -huh. um, one, like I'd have to start making sure I always had a capo with me. Sure, sure. Um, but two, like I just have to like I tend to think about like note positions in a very static way, and so I don't, I don't really. Um, it's a bit of a mind bender when I pick it up. Yeah. If I, if I have to play it along to the part that I recorded with a regular guitar. It's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I haven't run into it. Um, but if I ever ran into a song where it's like, oh, uh, this song's in whatever, but there's like a bunch of open notes, but they're not really open notes. It's like, um, it's like an open, it's an open note, but only if you have a chord on this fret. But otherwise, right. like I would have to learn that song part for like the part exactly rather than like understanding the way the notes all fit together. Mm. And as soon as like they, I got there and they're like, Oh, we're not doing the song in D we're doing it in E. Like I would not be able to just move the capo up two yeah. frets. Like I would just be like, okay, I'm done. Oh, well, I have to do math in my head. If I, I played along, if I like brought it to church or something like that, which I've tried to do a couple of times and I ended up just putting it to the side and grabbing <laughs> a different guitar, like figuring out, like what to do with it is always interesting. And it, I find that like, like if you're playing something super low on it, then when you pick up your regular guitar, it pushes you into playing way higher than you normally would. Just right. the way all the, like the notes work. So you it, feel like it's challenging. Any, um... it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's a really rewarding itch to scratch. If you do get a baritone. Right. Um, I would say uh, I would say get some baritone strings and experiment putting them on a regular guitar and down tuning. Mm -hmm. Like if you get a regular Fender guitar, it's a fairly long scale, twenty five and a half. It'll support putting some heavier strings on there and play around in a B to B tuning just to see if you like it before pulling the trigger. So I'm looking at um, 
I'm trying to find examples of songs that use baritone guitar. Well, everything that, Dwayne Eddy did. Right, baritone. and that, that came up. Um, that's like super 60s sounding stuff. And I'm seeing a lot of like hard rock and whatever. Like I guess I'm looking for something that's more um, accessible, I guess. Sure. Like something that's – oh, like oh, um, that's interesting. The Cure? Uh, yeah. So Have you hit that about, on the list um, yet? It, I just hit it that um, Robert Smith loved his Robert baritone. Smith was using started using baritone guitar on the 1989 album Disintegration to the extent that Schechter Guitars produced a Robert Smith mm. Robert Smith signature baritone. Yeah, um, one of the ones that's like kind of you know I don't know what to think about it, but apparently Dave Matthews played baritone on the song The Space Between. Okay. Which is an I, I'm just thinking it from like the perspective of its use of not just a baritone, but a baritone acoustic guitar. Yeah. One um, of the most beautiful sounding acoustic guitars I've ever played was a baritone twelve string. Oh but, Pat Smear uses uh baritone guitar in the Foo Fighters. Okay. That makes sense. So like his all of his guitar parts apparently are uh or at least a number of them would be done on baritone. So it's kind of interesting, I guess. It gets around. There's a lot of baritone out there, but you do kind of have to change your whole thinking about what you're playing when you're doing it. It's interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to, to hear what uh, what if he does end up pulling the trigger on a baritone and what he does get. Because it does seem pretty stat- stratified right now between like the funky 60s and like the modern metal sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, if you were... Well, I mean, there are like a ton of examples of metal, like metal bands. Like, yeah. I kind of just, I guess I skipped over, but it's like, oh, the guy from Cannibal Course. Oh, uh, the dude from Corn used it on one sure. band. You know, Misha Mansour uses it on this. And- if you were going to get a baritone that was in a style of a regular modern guitar, what would you want it to be like? Well, obviously a Telecaster. A Telecaster. Why would baritone? you even ask that question around? <laughs> would you do humbuckers or would you do singles? Ooh, singles with a humbucker. Humbucker single, both. Porque Nolas Dos. <laughs> P90s. P90s. P90s would actually sound great with a um, with a baritone. No, in sure. my head, I think singles would be pretty dope. I really like the singles, having them on, the, on that strap baritone that I have. But sometimes when I'm doing like a metal thing with it, I do wish that there was yeah, but I'm not gonna do a, a metal humbucker thing. in there. No. I don't know how to do metal. But like doing some EQ tweaking before you hit your drives can like change that. Like if Did you, you s- throw like a seven band EQ in there, you can cheat the 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 singles into sounding like a humbucker. Did you see that comment on the YouTube video? I don't remember what video it was. It was like it's like love your stuff, Ryan. Wish you could get a co host that could play guitar. <laughs> I didn't see that one. This was from like two or three. This is from like a month ago. Yeah, when you earned that. I was like, nice. <laughs> we need to get you in here, and we need to do a piece where you play bass and I play guitar and do a little. Yeah, well, we were talking about do doing jam. some like jam stuff with the spire. Yeah, so yeah, we'll figure something out soon. Someone made a, a video. Uh, what am I? This is the last episode of the night that we're recording, so my mind is fried. Someone made a comment on a video saying that they uh, want you to do more of what we did with that Gibson piece. Yeah. They're like, we want, I want Steve back on doing these short videos, like discussing things, doing his Steve thing, dropping numbers. Like it was really entertaining. So we need to, st- you know, I should just, I need to come over here for like a quick hitter. Like when everything's set up, I can do it real fast to do the shipping video too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff. We'll come so do it on a lunch need break. Some, need some props. Bring some props. <laughs> Prop comedy from Steve. Prop comedy. <laughs> hey, guys, look at this bowler out. It's <laughs> a big pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this last out was sent by Paul Pennington. It's a vintage Fender Telecaster style sunburst coffee table repurposed fa- factory legs. Maybe it's just the legs. Is that the only? I don't know. Uh, this table measures 56 inches long, 19 inches high, and 34 inches wide. A lot of work went into the finished product to achieve this 60s sunburst grungy finish. The table is rock solid and sturdy. Deep contours, just like the real deal. Heavy repurposed cast iron industrial legs. Only one on the planet. Thank God. <laughs> Only a true rock and roll lover would understand it. I repurpose industrial and old factory remains into the most spectacular pieces if, for your home or office. What if you're a true rock and roll lover and you don't understand it? 
This is no exception. Please ask questions before making a decision if it's up to you. You are welcome to pick it up here or it will need to be trucked. So I was trying to figure out why this looked weird and I just thought maybe it was me. But you pointed out, uh, which I don't know how I didn't catch it. I guess I didn't really read it. Telecaster is not 56 inches long. No. In the pictures, like you assume – well, here's, here's the thing that I assumed when I first saw this ad. I was like, is, this is $3,200. That's what he's asking for this thing. This is like an unused body from the Fender factory, and it's vintage. And so, so that's, 56 inches is like, is like this. Yeah, it's like a desk. But the thing is that this thing's only 18 inches tall, so it's like a coffee table. Yeah, yeah. So the, it's like a coffee table size. So I assumed at, with that price tag that this was a vintage Fender body that had been repurposed into like some sort of weird little table. Yeah, I think the only thing that actually is repurposed are the legs. Yeah, they look like they're weird piano legs or something Apparently like that. Apparently they're cast iron. What? The legs are cast iron? Yeah, cast iron and duster legs. That's why it says, please do not pay for your item immediately. I must pack and determine the final weight and size of each and every item. And some of that is, be- I think, because like the it's so freaking heavy. Because they're cast iron legs. I don't understand the price of this. I do kind of get the look of it. Like, as like a coffee table or like, Kind of small end table for in front of like a love seat or something like that. It's kind of cool looking. It still falls under my criticism of that guitarists don't need things to remind them that they're guitarists. Right. Like a guitarist is going to hang a guitar on the wall as a decoration. Mm -hmm. This is something someone who's like a rock and roll fan would put in their house, but they aren't necessarily a musician. Right. They like someone who's like a big Rolling Stones fan. Well, it doesn't say this is for a musician. It says a true rock and roll. Lover. Right, right. But like I'm saying, I you know I know there's exceptions out there, and it's my own personal kind of idea about these things. I just don't need guitar decorations in my life. Yeah, especially for thirty two hundred dollars. I will say that I I I like the relic job on this. How do you feel about the relic job on this table, Steve? Yeah, I don't. I I would you know. My concern with it, and you just can't tell from these pictures, is how well it's going to actually hold up to use. Sure. Uh, because it looks raw. It's going to look funny. And I mean, the, 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 re- the reason that it tricked our eye is because it does look like it's to scale. Yeah. Although the table is a bit thinner than a, a guitar body would be at that scale. Yeah. But it looked like someone had like bandsawed a guitar body to be thinner to make it a table. Yeah, that's the, what I the, thought. The moment you get like a like a a coffee mug ring stain on this, it's gonna betray the scale of it, and people are gonna oh, be yeah. like, "Oh, that's a big table," instead of "Oh, that's a guitar size." Although, why would anyone need to know how big it is if they're not in your house? Like, you're not trying to trick anyone with it. I mean, why does anyone need to know how big it is in it at all? Like, that should be between you and exactly. your partner. Exactly. The size of your coffee table is in between you and whoever you want to involve in your uh, home decorating relationship. That's right. Yeah. Don't, like, don't, let's not table shame anymore, people. Yeah. You know, if if I think the furniture in your house is dumb, like, I don't need, you don't, who cares as long as you like it? It's yeah. Not, it's none of my business. Yeah, you think my couch is too soft? It gets the job done, Steve. It does. It does. I like my soft couch. I wouldn't want a couch to be as hard as you like them. <laughs> That's not true. I like a firm couch. <laughs> um, what do you What do you think? I think if I was, um, if you, if you, I think would, Super Rich Steve. That's what I was getting to. Would Super Rich Steve buy this? We talked about that. We kind of like preface this because trying to figure out Super how Super Rich dumb Steve this really would is. buy this and then he'd set it on fire. Uh, no, I think uh, <laughs> I think Super Rich Steve buys this for his study slash music room. It goes next to his, you know, guitar shaped leather couch recliner, single seat. And this table only gets used for drinking glasses of the most expensive Kirkland scotch. Instead of a guitar-shaped couch, what if you have a couch that's themed after, like, Marshall Stacks? Because mm. it, like, it would look like a big Marshall Stack just tipped on its side. 
but it's a couch. Yeah. You do it like with black I'm, I'm leather. Saying like, but I'm saying for this, like a single, like a recliner, like a, a single seater. Okay, okay, like a Lazy Boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the table's just right there next to you, and you got your glass of, you know, is it Lagavulin or, you know, McAllen or... I don't know Glenn what super rich people drink. Whatever. I'm going to get that $5,000 bottle of tequila from Costco. Whoa. That's what super rich people drink. Do they have drink. that? You've never been to, you've never seen the glass liquor case at a Costco? And it's $5,000? It's like a five, it's, I don't know, $3,000, $5,000. Once you're over like, I want to taste it. Once you're over like a hundred bucks, you're way beyond anything I'm ever going to spend no on alcohol. Kidding. My wife one time bought me a really nice bottle of tequila for my birthday. Yeah. And it's like way outside of what I would pay for myself. And it was very enjoyable. I would never, like I said, I'd never buy it for myself, but uh, I got a pretty good kick, good kick out of uh, that tequila. Are we ready to wrap it up and get out of here? I think we are. Time to go to bed. It's late, and it's, it's Thursday. Nine fifteen. I'm ready for bed, guys. All right. This song is sent to us by Kate Jacobs. Uh, she just says, "Had another song to submit for the podcast. This song is called Obsessed." Hope you guys listen to it. You think she's obsessed with our podcast, Steve? You think it's going to be all about us? I, I hope not. <laughs> be a little awkward. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be awkward. I just hope she has better things to write about. I know, right? Don't write songs about the show. Or but do. if you do, send them in. Yeah. Later, guys. Bye.
雪。